Well, good morning. morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. We're glad that you, uh, God has brought you here to be in this place today as we honor and worship. Isn't it nice to know that he never gives up on you? Amen. Come on, you believe that? Let's give him some praise for that this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cameron, I get the lights going here, buddy. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our series when trust makes no sense. We got this week and next week, and we started this series back in the first of January, and kind of the premise of the whole thing is this, is that there are things and times in life when we feel like God is telling us to do stuff through his word or through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and the truth be told is those things sometimes just don't make sense to us. In a logical standpoint, when we think about it, it just makes absolutely no sense. However, we're still under the mandate to what? To trust him, no matter what, right? Even when it doesn't make sense, we're still supposed to trust God, right? That, are you with me on that? Say amen. amen. And we're supposed to trust him. Now, we said what trust was in the very beginning is that trust is the belief in the reliability and the ability of someone or something. So to say that we trust God is to say that we believe that God is faithful and we believe that God is able. That's what it means to trust God. So we've talked about the method of trusting God. We've talked about the greatest obstacle to trusting God, which is fear. And we saw that in the life of Gideon. And then we began to talk about a couple of weeks ago, what are some specific areas of our life where we really need to begin to trust God? And we talked about, we started with maybe the most personal area of all, and that's the area of our finances. And we talked about what is a biblical basis for really trusting God with our finances. And we walked through that. And then last week we talked about, and not only is it just about a biblical basis to give, it's that we need to have a heart of a giver. We need to give not out of obligation, but give out of what? Gratitude and love for our Lord. Amen? And so today we're going to talk about another area I think we really need to trust God in. And it's going to sound very, maybe odd to you to think of it this way. But I think one area that we really need to begin to trust God with is in the area of our doubts. Now, here's what I know about most of us in the room. We all are probably way too familiar with the idea of doubts, aren't we? Right? For many of you, I mean, I could, I could talk about my mom's story and how many times, I mean, when I, was, when I lived in Popper Bluff for 13 years, how many times she would come to me and just go, hey, Doug, you know, I read my Bible. I was, or she called me Douglas, but you can't. And so she would say, Douglas, you know, I read my Bible and I go to church and I know I believe in God, but I'm just not sure. There's this doubt. And so for some of us, we know all too well the idea of doubt. For some of us, it's a doubting our salvation. I just don't. No, because what we think is, hey, if I live a certain way and I say I love Christ, but this is part of my life, I don't know, why would God love me? Why would God accept me? And so we doubt our salvation. Some people even doubt whether God can be trusted. I'm not even sure I can trust God. I struggle with trusting. Or we doubt, hey, does God really hear me? I know you talk about all the time, pray, but does God really hear? I don't know if God even hears me. Or we think about not just does God hear me, but does God even care about me i'm even sure about that and so for most of us in life we struggle with doubts we even may even doubt does my life really even matter now here's why i'm talking about this because for many of you in the room today your life is loaded with doubts and doubts and doubts and more doubts and what i know about many of you in the room when it comes to doubts is you beat yourself up over those doubts don't you I mean, when you find yourself doubting whether it's your salvation or whether you can trust God, and let's just be honest, don't be a holy roller today. If you love Jesus today, every one of you in the room that loves Christ, you know there's been a moment in your life when you prayed and you sought God, and then there was that little bit of voice inside your head that goes, I'm just not sure if he's able. I'm not just sure if he's listening 
to me, right? We've all had it, including this guy on the stage. We've all had it. And when we doubt, we end up beating ourselves up, right? And one of the reasons I think we beat ourselves up is because sometimes we feel like doubt is the opposite of faith. So if I doubt, that's the, that's the antithesis of faith. And I would say, no, doubt is just a, a matter of uncertainty. Or we say, well, no, maybe it's not the opposite of faith, but, but when I doubt, that means I lack faith. I would submit to you that doubting is evidence of faith. Now think about that. Sometimes we beat ourselves up because we think doubt is a lack of faith. I would say doubt is evidence of faith. Well, what do you mean, Doug? Mark chapter 9, verse 34, the guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I believe. But help me with my unbelief, right? I believe. But man, I got some doubts. I got some questions. So when you, if you find yourself in a place this morning of doubt, I don't want you to beat yourself up. But what I do want you to know is this, is that doubt hinders our growth in our faith. It hinders us. It keeps us from experiencing the abundant life that Christ has called us to. We miss out on that because we are wallowing in doubt. And when we are wallowing in doubt, we are ineffective for the kingdom of God and we lack the growth that we need to have to experience what God has for us. So what we need to learn to do, all of us, is to trust God with our doubts. Amen? Now, before we can trust God with our doubts, and the point of the message today is this, why do we doubt? If we need to trust God with our doubts, let's get to the root of it. Now, if you, now listen, if, if you broke a bone and it was protruding your skin, we could put a Band-Aid on it, right? But does that fix the problem? No. What do we need to do? Well, not me, somebody more professional than me. What does somebody need to do? They need to go in, they need to set the bone, fix the bone, and then heal it up. And so what I'm saying is, it's not just about saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my doubts today. We need to know why in the world do we doubt and begin to trust him with that. So if you have your Bibles, John 9 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. There's 41 verses in John 9, and we're going to cover them all. And we're going to do it. We're going to read through this narrative, and I'm going to read through it. I'm going to comment as we go, but I want you to get the heart of this because in this story, we see a group of people, and we see this Pharisees, and at the core of what's going on in the story is doubt. And in this story, we find out why they doubted. And why they doubted is the same reason that all of us doubt. So if you have your Bibles, keep it open. If you have an app, keep it open because we are going to walk through this passage in John chapter 9. Verse 1 and 2 says this. As he was passing by, talking about Jesus and the disciples, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that was born blind? So out of the gate here, what we see is they're walking by and they see this man that's been blind since birth. And the disciples make this statement. Who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? In other words, it, why, is, why is this guy blind? Now, in that culture, in Jewish culture, they truly believed that if you had any physical element, like for some of us that have glasses, you know, I mean, if you want to take it to extreme, or if you had any kind of element, or if you were blind, or you had any kind of disease, it was a direct result of either your sin or somebody else's sin. So what the disciples say to Jesus was a natural Jewish thing to say. Jesus, why is this man born blind? Was it because his parents sinned, or was it because his sin? Now, here's why that's important. Even the disciples who walked, talked, and lived with Jesus were confused about who God is and who God was and how God works. So look what Jesus does. Look at the very next verse, verse 3. Jesus answered them and says, It is not that this man has sinned or that his parents, but the works of God might be displayed 
in him. In other words, are you ready, guys? You're asking the wrong question. It's neither. It's not because of his sin. And it's not because of his parents' sin. Now, can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? They are assuming, based on Jewish culture, this man is blind because either he sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus says, you're wrong on both accounts. You're asking the wrong question. You can imagine what they're thinking. So Jesus, as what you're saying is that God allowed this man to be blind just because God wants to make a point. And the answer Jesus would say is, yes. God allowed it because God's about to show up in a powerful way. So your assumptions and your confusions about God is absolutely wrong. This man is not blind because of his sin or anybody else's sin. He is blind because God allowed it, but God's about to show up in and through this story. And then look what happens next here. It goes on, verse 4. Jesus says, we must work with the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, before I came, there was some confusion about who God is and how God works. I have come as the light of the world. I have come to bring clarity on who God is and how God works. Because you know why? And I want you to listen carefully because night is coming. In other words, I'm going to be leaving this world before too long. And when I leave this world, darkness will settle back in. Confusion will come back. So while we're confused now about who God is and how he works, I have come to bring clarity to that. I have come to show you that. So pay attention because when I leave, confusion will come again. And I love it because in essence what Jesus is saying is this. If you want to know who God is and you want to know how God works, ready? Watch me, and you're going to find out. Then look what happens next, verse 6 and verse 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back what? Seeing. He came back seeing. So here's a guy that's been born blind. They make some wrong assumptions, and Jesus just simply says, listen, if you want to know who God is, how he works, just watch me. And so he spits on some mud. Now, that had to be a lot of spit, by the way, right? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of spit, right? He spits on some mud, or dirt. He makes mud, puts on the guy's eyes, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and do, and you will be healed. And the guy comes back. He was once blind, and now what? He can see. Now, look what happens next. This is where the story gets, starts getting interesting. Verse 8 says this, the neighbors, the neighbors, and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Now, pause there. That's what blind people did, by the way. Blind people, and you can go back and trace this through history, but like Bartimaeus is a great story. What blind people would do in the day, they would sit along roadsides, and they had a cloak or a coat, a large coat, like an overcoat, and they would lay it out, and they would beg for alms. So when you would pass by, they would throw money in there, you would collect it, and that was kind of your source of income. So when it was raining, guess what was your source of coverage? The coat. When it was cold, what was your source of warmth? The coat, and so when you needed a place to lay your head, what was the source of a pillow? The coat. The coat was the most important thing a blind man could ever have. They used it to beg and to receive. And so they're saying, listen, didn't you used to be the guy who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, 
I'm the man. Now, not like I'm the man. I mean, he's like, that's me. That's me. Now, think about this. This guy was once blind. Jesus has healed him. He comes back to where he was, and the neighbors began to wonder what's happened. And some of them say, hey, weren't you, weren't, weren't you the guy that was the blind beggar? And some of them goes, yeah, I think that's who it is. And some go, no, 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 that can't be it. He kind of looks like that guy. We kind of mistake him for that guy. But that's not really who it is. And the whole time the guy's going, it's me. It's me. It really is me. I was the guy blind. I was the guy begging. I'm the guy that can see. No, really, it is me. Now, why in the world would they have this doubt and wondering if this was really the guy that was healed? It's because they couldn't explain what had happened. The reason they doubted is because this guy was once blind, but now he can see. And let's be honest, that is unexplainable. Amen? So he could not see, and now he can. That makes no sense. It's totally unexplainable. And so they weren't sure. So then, look at verse 10. So they said to him, then how were you, how were your eyes Open. In other words, listen, what has happened to you supposedly is unexplainable. Could you tell us what happened? And then look what he says here in verse 11. He tells them, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Now, if, I, if I'm in the story at the moment, and I'm the neighbors who's doubting because of this is unexplainable, I have some doubt, and this guy explains to me, listen, this guy named Jesus, now they would have known who Jesus was because he was a name that everybody probably knew in the area. He made some mud, he put it on my eyes. Then I walked, just alone, I washed my face, and I was once blind, but now I can say, you would think there might be a party break out right now, right? These neighbors who knew him surely would want to celebrate with him the greatest day in his life, right? That's what you would think. If we stop the story there, party breaks out. But that's not what happens at all. Let's keep reading. That's not what happens at all. Look at verse 12. They said to him, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how have you received this sight? In other words, these people are so loaded with doubt. He explains to them exactly what happens. I mean, verbatim what happened. And at the end of the day, they still had doubt. So they did the only thing they knew to do. Let's take them to the religious leaders, right? Let's go to the spiritual of the spiritual. Let's go to the guys who are so close with God in our minds that they are connected. I mean, I mean, if there's a miracle that's happened, surely they will have insight into this. And so they take the guy to the Pharisees. And what do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees begin to ask him, how in the world did you receive this sight? And it says this, he goes on to say, so the Pharisees again ask him, how have they received his sight? In other words, would you explain to me what has happened to you? Now, pause with me for a moment. I believe this might be one of the funniest passages in all the Bible. Because it gets almost ridiculous as we keep going through it. Because the neighbors ask him, he explains it. But that wasn't good enough. There's still doubt. Now they take him to the who's who of the religious world, and they ask him, because there's doubt. 
And listen to how he explains it. Look with me in verse 15. He explains it. He says this. He, he doesn't even talk about Jesus now. He's like, listen, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see, right? It's like, I'm going to give you the cleft note version because I've already explained myself to my neighbors. And I know they've already told you the story. Let me simplify it. He came, mud on my eyes, washed my face, I see. You got it? You got it, right? Are you with me now? That's what you think would happen. And so this response to the Pharisees, and look what happens in verse 16. I love this. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, referring to Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, he has just given Jesus credit for the miracle, and the Pharisees step up and go, that guy's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now, here's why that's important in the story. Because the Sabbath was a big deal for the Jews. You didn't do anything on the Sabbath. In fact, one of the times that the Pharisees got most angry with Jesus is on the Sabbath. When he and his disciples are walking through a wheat field and they're threshing wheat so they can eat. And they're so distraught with Jesus over that. And so what they've done is they've made their conclusion about Jesus right here. Because this man has done this act on this holy day. Doesn't matter that you were blind and now you can see. What matters is he's not from God. Now, here's why that's important. Even the Pharisees had what we like to call a God box. You know what a God box is, right? A God box is basically this. They had an assumption how they thought God should act and would act. And if he didn't act in that way, they didn't believe it. So if God did anything miraculous on the Sabbath... And anybody claimed to be of God who did it on the Sabbath, that is not from God, and we don't believe it. Now, you know, you say, well, how dare they think that? I think we have a God box, too. I think there's some of us in the room today, we have, a, we have a presupposition of how we think God should act. We should presuppose how we think God should respond to situations. And when he doesn't do it the way we want it done, ouch, and he doesn't do it the way we like it done, we decide, I'm, I don't believe that. These guys had a God box. And so these Pharisees here, they're like, man, this is still just unexplainable to us because we don't think that he is from God. Look at verse 16, the very end. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? In other words, okay, we know this is unexplainable, but at the end of the day, guess what? He can see. Are you with me on that? Hey, we, we know, we know, we know, we know what you're thinking. We know you don't think this guy's from God. And we know why you don't think he's from God. But at the end of the day, I know it's unexplainable, but here is what's undeniable. This guy can now see. And what are we going to do with that? And then the story goes on. Just keep reading here. Verse 17. <laughs> so they said again to the blind man. Now it's funny here. Is the guy blind right now? Is he blind right now in the story? No, he can see. It's almost like a dig, right? So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he says, well, he's a prophet. Now, it's almost like they're playing a game show here with this guy. It's almost like it's like, uh, are you smarter than a Pharisee right now? Right? You remember smarter than a Pharisee? It's like, are you smarter than a Pharisee? So who do you think he is? And his response is, He's a prophet. Now, we know from the Old Testament that prophets perform miracles. This guy had not seen Jesus. Jesus did this, told him to go wash. He did, and Jesus necessarily wasn't there when he came back. 
We see Jesus enter in a little bit later in the story. All he knew is that this guy had to be from God to do what he done. So he said, he's a prophet. Surely he's from God. And look what happens next. The story, verse 18, says this. Then the Jews did not believe that, they, they had been, that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called his parents of the man who'd received his sight. In other words, there was even doubt whether maybe he's been faking it. Think about that one. Yeah, he can see, but maybe he was never really blind. Now, why in the world would they feel this way? Why in the world would they doubt whether he was blind or doubt whether he could really see now? Why would they doubt? Because what has happened is absolutely 100% unexplainable. Everybody say that with me. Unexplainable. What has happened makes no sense. It's unexplainable. So these people still are on the line going, we don't believe. So let's get his parents involved. And then they do. Look at this. And so they ask them, is this really your son? Who you say, say, all right, hypothetically, who you say was born blind. How then does he see? And his parents answer, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Listen, you ready? Here it is. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Right? It's like, listen, hey, we don't believe anything. We're going to get mom and dad in here. All right, mom and dad, this is the scenario. Are you really sure this guy, this is your son? And are you really sure that he was blind? And are you really sure that he can see now? And so they just say, listen, here's what we know. You ready? Here's what's undeniable. He was once blind. But now... He can see. And if you want what the explanation is, you're going to have to ask him yourself, which to we would all say, they've already done that. Right? They've already been asking him. And so the parents are like, listen, if you want further information, you got to go ask our son. All we know is he once was blind, but now he can see. Verse 24. So for the second time. Now, if you're this guy, are you exhausted by now? Hey, I'm just ready to have a party that I can see. I mean, I haven't seen a sunrise, I haven't seen a sunset, I haven't seen an armadillo, I haven't seen a woman, I haven't seen a kid, I haven't seen mom and dad. I mean, I haven't ever seen anybody. I just want people to celebrate with me, right? I just want a party to go, hey, you once were blind, unexplainable, but what's undeniable, you can see, let's throw a party. That's what I would want, wouldn't you? But that's not what happens once again. Verse 24, and so for the second time, they, the Pharisees, called the man who had been born blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, listen, we're going to give you another chance to recant. We want you to tell us how God did this, but we know it wasn't through him. These Pharisees refused to give Jesus any credit. They refused to acknowledge he was from God. They're like, listen, you give God glory. Tell us really how this happened, but it didn't happen to this guy because this guy is a sinner. And then this guy responds again, verse 25, made my favorite verse in the passage. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, undeniable, that though I was blind, now I what? I see. Please pay attention to me. I've told you three times now. I don't know who he is. I don't know about him. 
all I know is what's unexplainable is that I was blind, but what's undeniable is I can see. Would you please pay attention? And then the story goes on, verse 26. And then this is the greatest jab maybe in the New Testament. Then they said to him, what did they do to you? What did he do to you? Notice they're not stopping. They are not stopping the interrogation. What? Verse 26. So, uh, verse 25, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 26. So what did they do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have already told you. And you would not listen. Does this sound like a parent right now? You sound like a parent mode right here? Like you're telling you're talking to your kids? Yeah, yeah. Listen, I've been telling you. You've asked and I've told you. You've asked and I've told you. My patience is running out. You keep asking me what has he done for me and what's happened. I'm telling you, I was blind, but now I what? I can see. Would you please stop asking me? I've told you, but you won't listen. And then I love this. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Man, if there was a shot in the throat of a Pharisee, it's that question. I mean, this guy's so frustrated. He's like, listen, maybe you're asking me because you want to be his disciples. Can you just feel the rage kind of raising up in the Pharisees' hearts at that point? I mean, if there was ever a dagger to shoot right into the heart of a Pharisee, it was that question. He's like, listen, maybe you keep asking me just because you want to be on Team Jesus too, right? Then look how they respond. <laughs> Verse 28, and they reviled him. That word reviled means insulted and drastically criticized. They reviled him and said, you are a disciple of his, but we are a disciple of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now listen, this is the best day of this guy's life. And the best he can get is insults and criticisms from the Pharisees. The best day of his life. And it's all he's getting. And they're like, we still don't know where this guy's from. And then look at this, verse 30. So the man says to them, why this man, why this is an amazing thing, you do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And it's like the guys looking at the Pharisees going, listen, I know you've got these questions. But at the end of the day, this could only be done by an agent of the Most High God. There is no doubt in my mind who this guy comes from. I know you're questioning it, but there's no doubt. I mean, it's almost like he's giving the Pharisees a Bible lesson. We've never seen this before. And the only person that can give sight to a man born blind is someone who comes from God. It's like he's saying, listen, there's no doubt in my heart that this guy is coming from the Most High God. Isn't it obvious where he comes from? And then look how they respond here. Verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. It's like they said, how dare you, right? And we're sitting here offended that they've been asking me four times now. And I want to try and go, well, how dare you? I've told you over and over again. I was once blind, but now I see. But all you keep wanting to talk about is the guy. I'm just saying, I can see now. And they look at this guy. It's almost like they said, how dare you teach us? How dare you try to give us 
a spiritual lesson. And then what do they do with him? They cast him out. Cast him out. Now think about it. The greatest day of this guy's life. And he's being insulted, criticized, interrogated. And all he wants is probably a Chuck E. Cheese party. I mean, this guy is just excited. But yet everybody around him questioning, doubt, doubt, doubt. Are you seeing the doubt in the story? You see the doubt in the story? Yeah. And then look what happens next. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you think he might have recognized his voice? Just think of, I'm thinking about that. Because you know when people lose a sense, the other senses are heightened, right? Do you think he might have recognized his voice, maybe his smell? I think so. And Jesus says, listen, I know there's all this doubt permeating out here, but I need to know something for you, the guy that was once blind that now say, do you believe in me? Do you believe that I'm from God? And look what the guy says to Jesus. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, verse 37, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I what? Believe. And he worshiped him. Can I just say something about the guy that was once blind? For him, it wasn't about what was unexplainable. It was all about what was undeniable. I was once blind, but I can see. I'm not wrapped up in the semantics of how that happened. What I want to do is celebrate it happened. And then Jesus gives a final teachable moment for the Pharisees. And then we're going to think about how does this relate to us. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, listen, all you guys have focused on is what's unexplainable. And because that's all you focused on, you've missed the greatest miracle you've ever would have witnessed. You missed out. Now, the thing I want us to know about this story, I know we breezed through it, but here's what I want you to know. There is a tension in the story between what is unexplainable and what is undeniable, right? What is unexplainable and what is undeniable? Now, when we ask the question, why do we doubt? Here's why. The reason we doubt, the core, the heartbeat, the foundation of doubt is this. The reason we doubt is because we spend our life focusing on what is unexplainable instead of celebrating what is undeniable. That's why we doubt. We spend our lives focusing on what we can't explain instead of spending time focusing on what we know. We spend time focusing on what is unexplainable instead of spending time focusing on what is undeniable. Now, I came across a, an illustration many, many years ago. A pastor, I heard Andy Stanley tell this illustration, and I love it. I want to read it because I want to get it wrong. And if you're a math person, you got to stay with me here because this is a great story to illustrate exactly what we're talking about. A Yale physicist, Robert Adair, studied the science behind hitting a big league fastball a 90-mile-an-hour projectile that travels 60 and a half feet and 400 milliseconds. So mathematicians, 400 milliseconds. So the time it leaves his hand, the time it hits the catcher's mitt, is 400 milliseconds. So this physicist is studying the possibility of hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Here was his discovery. Among his findings, half of the flight time, which would be how long? 
200, there you go, thank you, Elijah, 200 milliseconds. Half the flight time is spent by the batter trying to find the ball in the air. Get the image in his brain and decide whether to swing. So half of the time is him finding the ball and deciding, am I going to swing at this thing or not? If the batter decides to swing, the brain spends another 100 milliseconds deciding whether it's going to swing nearly a two-pound bat at more than 80 miles an hour, low, inside, outside, high, or in the strike zone. So 200 milliseconds to decide if I'm even going to swing. Another 100 milliseconds to decide, am I going to swing this bat and where? Which leads to how many milliseconds? That's 300. We got four, and so we're, we're, we got 100 milliseconds. The swing itself takes 150 milliseconds, which means what? We're short, right? We're short. But during the first 50, the batter can stop the swing, but beyond the 50 milliseconds, the bat is moving at a 70% of the final speed and cannot be checked. Adair says a seven millisecond variation will cause the hitter to knock the ball foul. And he concluded that hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball, you ready? You ready? Is impossible. But we've all seen it done, haven't we? Mathematically, scientifically, hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming from 16 and a half feet is absolutely scientifically 100% impossible to do. But yet, if you've watched baseball at all, we've all seen it done. Here's my point. We spend most of our lives living in this way. And most of our lives, not put your faith aside, but in our everyday life, we always let what is undeniable, what we know, trump what is unexplainable. For example, what is undeniable is this microphone works, right? Undeniable. Are you with me on that? Some of you wish it was a little bit less, but it does work, right? I mean, it's undeniable. Now, probably most of you in this room have absolutely no idea of the nuances of how this microphone works. But nobody's stopping Cameron when they walk in going, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the microphone. Could you break down for me, Cameron, exactly how the, the waves and the signals and the, the amplification? And does anybody have that conversation with Cameron? No, nobody does. Why? Because and when it comes to matters of life, we always let what's undeniable, microphone, trump what is unexplainable, how it works, except in matters of faith. In matters of faith, we always let what's unexplainable trump what is undeniable. Now think about that one. When it comes to life, every day, we let what is undeniable trump what is unexplainable. But when it comes to matters of faith, it's always what, what is unexplainable occupies our time and trumps what's undeniable. Are you with me on this? If you're with me, say amen. And here's the thing. Trusting God with our doubts means letting what is undeniable in our lives and in our faith trump what is unexplainable. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, there are no good people. There's no one righteous, no, not one. But why does it happen? I don't know. Why did mom get cancer? I don't know. Why did your, favorite, your, your friend take it in a car? I don't know. Why do certain things happen? I don't know. And we spend so much of our life focused on what is unexplainable when it comes to faith, and we totally neglect and ignore what is undeniable. But if we're going to trust God with our doubts, we have to trust God by saying, God, I'm going to start letting what is undeniable, what we know, trump 
what is unexplainable, what I can't explain. So what do we know, right? What do we know? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, here's what we know. He, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that if you put your faith in him, you will have eternal life. We know that. Well, how did that happen? I don't know. A whole version, I don't know. But here's what I do know. God loved us enough he sent his only son. That three days later after he died on the cross, he rose from the grave proving that he was the son of God. And that I know this, that he desperately desires a relationship with everyone. And the only way to come into that relationship is by trusting him. That's what I know. And if you're in your believer today and you say, okay, Doug, well, I, I doubt my salvation. Okay, well, what do we know? We know that John 10, 28 says that when you've received eternal life and you're in the Father's hand, no one can pluck you out. That's what we know. Right? No one, no thing, and nobody. That's what we know. Well, how does that work? I mean, how, how, how does, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there is a tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, and I'm okay with just living in the tension because I don't want to focus on what's unexplainable. I want to focus on what's undeniable, that when he's got me, God's got me, and my eternity is secure. Or maybe you're here today and say, well, my doubt's not salvation. My doubt, Doug, is that I'm not sure God hears me, and I'm not sure God cares about me. Well, what do we know? Exodus 3 tells me that God hears the cries of his people. He hears you. Jeremiah tells me he does care for you. You know why? Because he has plans for you. He has plans and a future to prosper you, not to harm you. See, we've got to decide somewhere in our life, we're going to choose to let what's undeniable, what we know from this book, trump what we cannot explain. And that's the only way we're ever going to trust God with our doubts. So the journey out of doubt is clinging to what we know. Now, I'm not talking about you know personally. I'm talking about what we know from this book. So here's my challenge to all of us today. Two things. Number one, first of all, would you just admit what your doubts are? Well, Doug, I'm just spiritual. I don't have any doubts. Liar. We've all got them. They show up differently. They sound different, but we've all got them. God, would you, would you, God, I, I, I've been praying for my lost parents and I don't see any turnaround. God, I'm not even sure you care. He does. He's working even though you don't see it. He's doing what he does best and what you do the worst. So just trust him, right? Would you admit what doubts you are? And then second of all, my challenge is this, is that we would choose to focus and, focus and live by what we know. That we would choose not just to admit what our doubts are and give them to God, but say, Lord, Lord I, I'm going to choose this day. I'm choosing this day to start letting what I know, what is undeniable, trump what is unexplainable in my life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you right now, every head bowed and every eye to be closed. Everybody, just close your eyes and just bow your head just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want you just to take a moment right now. Before I pray for us, before we stand and continue to worship. Right now, I just want you just before you and a holy God, would you just be honestly, God, here's where my doubts are. Would you just take a moment and lay those out to him right now? He already knows them. Would you just confess them? Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's whether he's faithful. Maybe you doubt if he cares or can hear you. 
Just tell him what, where, what area maybe you're struggling with doubt. Then I ask you today, would you make a new commitment to the Lord? And just simply say this, Lord, I choose today to let what is undeniable about you and your word trump what is unexplainable in my life. And if you'll make that leap today, so many of your questions in your life will change. And like the disciples, we won't be asking the wrong questions. We'll be asking questions of how better can I trust you? How better can I follow you? So would you make that commitment today? I'm going to ask you right now in the quietness of the moment, would you just stand with me? Just stand with me. And I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to declare and sing a song that reminds us that God is on the move, that God is working, that God's not done with us, and that what we've seen him do in the past, he'll do it again, and we're going to celebrate that. But before we celebrate that, maybe there's just some of those doubts we got to let go of today. We have to trust God with our doubts. And so as soon as I say amen in a moment, maybe you want to come to this altar and just pray. Maybe you want to sit quietly back down in your seat and just get alone with God. Maybe you want to respond by writing on that welcome card and dropping in the offering plate. But whatever it is, would you just do business with God today and leave here committing to let what is undeniable trump what is unexplainable in your life? God, we love you. And I thank you for today. And I thank you as I read this story. Every time I read it, I get so frustrated for the guy that was once blind. But God, I think maybe is it possible that sometimes you have every right to be so frustrated with me? Because I always come into your word and you're always giving me truth and principles that I can live by. But I'm kind of like the Pharisees. I keep throwing up roadblocks. I keep throwing up doubts. I keep throwing up unexplainable moments. I keep, I keep asking you the wrong questions. God, would you wreck our hearts today? When we decide today above everything else, God, we are going to go and live by and cling to what we know and not cling to what we can't explain. Because your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, may we truly trust you today with our doubts. God, speak to us today. Move in us today. And may we walk out of here with a restored passion for you and gratitude for all that we know you have done for us. And for those who don't know you, Lord, today, I pray they would be understanding what you've done for them. And maybe in the stillness of this moment, they would just simply say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I want what you're offering thank you for sending your son for me. I received that today. God, would you move in this room only as you can and may we be faithful to respond. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Listen, the altar's open. Maybe you're wrestling. Oh, Doug, if I go up, people are going to know. You know what? 
If they know and they notice, maybe it's because they got the same doubts you've got. And they're struggling too. And if you need to come, don't, don't let anybody else stop you. You just come and get right with God. If you need to sit down or do business right with you, that's okay too. But we all wrestle with doubt. And today I'm asking you, I'm asking us, will we decide to trust God with all of our doubts? So as the band leads us, may we be faithful to respond to that.